Sounding Board, the monthly podcast from new and classic music discussion since 2016. Follow the team on Twitter and Facebook at SoundingBoard69. circulating the park in which we're recording yes it's our first outside recording with sounding board let's see how it goes if adam buxton can do it at the start of his podcast why not us and today i have i'm rob langham by the way of course i always forget to say my name first terry defellen is our our first entrant on the podcast making his debut hello terry hello rob and uh, terry you do a couple of podcasts I do, I do. I do a football podcast called The Sound of Football and I also do a Star Trek podcast called Whom Pods Destroy and very occasionally I turn up on another one called Odd Job Pod which is about James Bond. Uh, nothing about music but that's a nice departure for me. I'm looking forward to this. And The Sound of Football has been going for a long time. It's been it? going for 10 years next year, Rob. Yeah, and that is phenomenal and anybody who's into football at all and wants to listen to a good podcast about football that's probably like the best one in my opinion I love it we always welcome new listeners yeah (laughs) and our other guest is Del Mantle who's another South Londoner we're in London today hi Del yeah Yeah. we're we're north of the river now Um, not very far from uh, um, Her Majesty's one of her palaces anyway because we're in St James's Park yeah, uh, hello Rob, I should say. Uh, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm enjoying um, uh, enjoyed being asked to actually uh, appear in your podcast while that plane goes over here. Yeah, so you can probably hear the, so- <laughs> the sound effects that we stole from the Public Service Broadcasting yes. album overhead. <laughs> well, today we're going to be talking about the decline of the New Musical Express, or the NME as it's more commonly known, and print media for music in general, particularly magazines, which has got a long history which at the moment I think it's fair to say is in a bit of jeopardy. So we're going to be looking at that from all angles. But first of all, fellas, any news items or anything that's been floating your boat musically in the last few days or weeks? Um, well, I mean, my, my, I've actually... I'm a big fan of uh, Bandcamp, and, and so are you, Rob, and so are you, Terry. And I'm quite excited about the new Concretism album, which is coming out uh, in... Well, it's coming out this week, I think. Yeah, it's, or certainly this month, yeah. yeah. So I think by the time this goes out, there's a good chance it'll oh, be yeah, out, yeah. yeah, yeah. And, uh, and we both... We both stumbled on it exactly the same time because we're both big fans. You know what? I'm going to give this to you, actually, mate. It was you who turned me on to Concretism. So, but we stumbled across the new album at the same time. Yeah, yeah. yeah I suppose. Yeah. I mean, it's um, if anyone hasn't actually uh, heard it, heard it. There's been a big sort of uh, rise in the sort of the synthwave stuff, and we've got our own little kitchen industry over here, which is more uh, in, you know connected to hauntology and Concretism is is. It is what it is on the tin because it's uh, 
taken a lot of the influences from uh, Music Concrete and the Radiophonics workshops. It's very much a British, British sort of like uh, uh, sound of. It sounds a bit like the sound of the 70s and the 60s, the um, yeah. information... Um, I mean, if anyone's old enough to remember them 1970s public information movies that they were, that were doing the rounds during the schools back then about rabies warnings and walking on uh, rail lines and stuff like that. And a lot of the background music that they used there was sort of like using analogue synths. And uh, he's used that as his kind of starting point. In fact, you know, a couple of his albums have, have been directly inspired from that. And it is very much the analog synth thing, uh, which yeah, there is a there is quite a big sort of like movement. I, well, not big, it's a bit of a loose term. It's a movement, but I mean, like we went to what was that thing in Essex that we uh, went to? We went to the nuclear bunker, and it was the the Delaware Road, wasn't the it? Delaware Road, yes. Yeah, and Teleplasmist were there, yeah, which and we bumped into. We, uh, we bumped into Steve Davis, and we <laughs> didn't lose our shit, which is good. I almost, I mean, I almost, I, I almost lost my shit because you know he's a massive prog rock and kraut right. rock and electronic. This is interesting, Steve. Yeah, Davis. interesting, Steve Davis. Yeah, 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 and he's got his own show on, uh, on 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 a local Essex radio station, and and he loves all of that. Uh, and and yeah, so so yeah, Concretism's new album, and it's actually this one's being designed. And I'm embarrassed to say that I've completely forgotten the guy's name. But if you're familiar with Scarfolk the fictional northwestern town that never moved beyond 1979 and the online presence that's there then that's the guy who designed that is that Richard Little? Richard Littler I think Rich is actually Littler, now his name I yeah. apologise Robert yeah. should have looked that Sorry, up Sorry, Richard. Uh, no not at all I apologise to you mate if you're listening but I mean he's, he's doing the designs for the albums as well which has, is, is a bit of a first so you're getting this kind of collaboration there is this kind of movement about uh, I mean, Derek explained it to me quite nicely, actually. But I, I, just in case he's forgotten, I mean, this there's perhaps perhaps it's a kind of a bit of a nostalgic move towards sort of like pre-Thatcherite 1970s sort of like you know, Keynesian post-war consensus culture. So brutalism is 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 a big thing these days, and 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 just that whole era and just like bringing that forward. Maybe it's partly nostalgic. Um, but I mean, like it's generated, uh, you know, some really interesting innovations in art, particularly in graphic design, but also in music as well. And I'd say that concretism is very much a part of that movement. I yeah. mean, you have a strand of that already uh, happening in the states as well, you know, and, and also with the latest uh, <laughs> harking back to old uh, 1980s things with uh, the new Spielberg film. You know, Ready Player One. Yeah. Well, that's interesting, actually, because yeah. I've been listening to the Ready Player One uh, album quite uh, j- just this week, funnily enough. I was actually thinking about mentioning it to you, Rob. It's Alan Silvestri's uh, sound- soundtrack. I've not seen the movie yet, but that, that's me because I listen mostly to soundtracks. So I listened to that. And, and uh, yeah, I mean, obviously, there's a strong nostalgia element to a Ready, Ready Player One, or at least that's what we kind of understand. I understand it's not quite as straightforward as that. But yeah, needless to say, Alan Silvestri is a, you know, big composer from the 1980s 90s and onwards and he's done a lot of big franchise movies but he's also like he was the guy who composed the music for Back to the Future so it all weaves itself in quite nicely it's an interesting uh, sort of composition actually if you like your soundtrack music you might uh, you might enjoy that I know I have no opinion on the movie but um Right, yeah, but this reminds me a bit of some of the music that my fellow podcast host from the early days of the podcast, Neil Kennedy, and I really like some of the offerings from Ghost Box Recording. Uh, that's, you've hit it uh, on the nail there, yeah. This yeah. is very similar to that. Um, 
In fact, uh, concretism should be on goat spots, but it's probably better it isn't because it's on a smaller label. It's on Castles in Space, which is uh, only has a, a couple of um, artists on it, but they do. Um, well, originally the first concretism album was actually released by himself. You know, he, he, yeah. he did it himself, and and uh, the idea about releasing on Bandcamp means that a lot of he can release at the same time as being on Castles in Space. He can also release it at the same time himself. He can obviously get the, 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 the money back, you know, uh, go straight to the artist, hopefully. Obviously a little bit cut for Bandcamp. <laughs> but, yeah, it's very similar to Ghostbox and, 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 and uh, John Brooks and um, I think it's Jap is the other guy. Very similar idea about the sort of design, the whole package, you know. Yeah, and uh, that's where I came to uh, concretism as well through through that sort of searching out for that sort of, sort of music. Yeah, the first uh, first uh, track is available to listen on Bandcamp, and the rest of it's out there now. So they get an op- listeners get an opportunity to preview what they might get. But uh, yeah, yeah, I'm looking look, very much looking forward to that. Should be hopefully a significant album. Okay, well, it sounds well worth checking out. After this break, we're going to plunge into the world of the new musical express. <laughs> back the enemy uh, fairly recently depending on when you listen to this podcast you might be listening to it in 2020 of course has called it a day at least in its print edition which i think is a, a sad day it's been a sort of incredible publication for sort of 50 60 years i think which is i think 1946 was when it started it's soldiering on online which will probably come to towards the end of the discussion but what's the enemy meant to you guys over the years well, for, for myself, it was my first introduction to a regular source of information. As a, growing up during the sort of the well, in my sort of late teens, twenties, through the eighties, and uh, and all the way through the nineties, it was where I used to go and get most of my information about what the new bands were. Obviously, the reviews. Like everyone of our generation, we used to watch Top of the Pops and maybe the Tube and and, and that sort of stuff. But the enemy sort of opened up. It opened up a whole uh, world to other bits of music, and uh, I, I know I came to it well after uh, the punk years and stuff like this. I knew about it. Um, I, I, I was. Uh, I also used to buy the uh, Melody Maker and Sounds at the same time as well when I had the money. That is, <laughs> <laughs> when I was when I was earning. You know, it, but it was just the place you would look at. You would you would go straight to if you want to find your reviews. There were some really great uh, articles at the time. I can't remember many of them, and like a lot of hopefuls, I used to go through the classifieds at the back and see if there's anyone who wants a, to be in a band and stuff like this. And um, never applied for anything. <laughs> Thank God, <laughs> you know. But Terry, I mean, we used to share yeah, a house together. We did, yeah, it? yeah. And we used to gather. We used to get all freedom, didn't we? Yeah, sounds I mean, and maker and an enemy. You know, but we used to go a lot of gigs during the. Yes, we did. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this is the place we used to probably find out where the gigs were. Yeah. actually. you know. Or at least it opened up avenues to find more places to, or more bits of information. Because obviously this is all pre-internet. Yeah, I mean, I think that the thing that the enemy does, and again, like or did rather um, back then, was it was a bit of an arbiter. Uh, it was a, it was, it, it was a curator of of, of talent and of of acts. And I mean, that's that's really what journalism is in that, or certainly critical journalism, isn't it? It's to it's to tell people who don't necessarily have the time to, you know, what they think they might like and what they won't like, 
and to do it in an artful way but also yeah in terms of the listings in a in an efficient way so yeah i mean i used to buy when well, i say used to there were times when what i would do is i would go through a period i wouldn't buy the the maker from my local supermarket near where i used to work when it came out and i'd sit in my lunch hour and i'd go i'd go straight through to the listings i wouldn't bother reading anything at first read all that later and i'd have a look at the listings see what was coming up on friday saturday you know i was working in london living in london and that was work and, and where where to go and what to do and what you wanted to see and then when i kind of moved in with dell and shared a flat with dell and john who are really knowledgeable guys i kind of lent on them a lot more but you know i sort of you would use that as a as a chance to then you'd read the reviews and just think well yeah that sounds like something i'd like or i wouldn't and then you'd just do that really i mean that's that's that was it It had a real practical purpose to be honest with you that's what it existed for in my mind anyway well it was a cash thing as well because the thing is if you felt like you were you were up and you knew what was happening with music and you know even though we're, we're blokes from the big smoke i mean we're, we're quite conventional you know or we were you know we were quite conventional and the thing is is that we had all of the we're lucky that we actually were in london and we could actually go to these to these venues but we we weren't we weren't on the edge when it came to music we're probably the guys who probably stayed at home and listened to most of our music and it was a good way of actually seeing the you know a yeah. window to the, to the music world you know i mean it used to get quite exciting when you could you know uh talk about things with other people you know you can sort of like you know reading about obviously about in our generation it was the, the end of the sort of in the well a big big part of it was the indie music and then it went through the grunge time you know um I used to buy it a lot, um, and so like things like the Smiths was always on the cover, or Morris. He was always a, we had a conversation earlier. He was the biggest sort of uh, cover boy for the enemy. You know. Apparently, it added twenty thousand to the sales if he was on the cover. Yeah, um, yeah. Until later on, when he sort of fell foul of them a little bit, which we'll come to in a bit. Well, everyone I mean, got a bit sick of him as well. After a while, so I <laughs> think so. I mean, just some history. I mean, it started off as Accordion Times. Bizarrely, which I think is which, quite famous. You know, it needs to come back actually. Accordion times. Maybe that's the reason why the enemy failed. It, you know, there's all these people out there who really want an accordion uh, periodical. And that was in 1946. Um, but one of the things that built it up early on was that it was the first publication to run a singles chart, which I think yes. was significant. Yeah. Uh, right. So that was in 1952. And if you look at the the roster for one of their award shows, they had a kind of award show in 1966 and. On the bill were the Yardbirds, the Small Faces, Roy Orbison, Dusty Springfield, the Walker Brothers, the Beatles, and the Stones. So I oh, mean, yeah. that is like a fairly ridiculous well, bill, isn't it? For now, we yeah. would we would look back and see them as legends. I yeah. mean, at the time, obviously, this you know there was a lot of stuff going around, and you know, I I I, I wasn't watching those things at those sort of times. I was a bit too young. I wasn't born then, actually. I yeah. think was it nineteen sixty six? Six. No, I wasn't yeah. born then. No worry. <laughs> but you know. Still, I, all, I mean, like if that's a good toy. Yeah. yeah, in terms of taste. Yeah. yeah, I mean that's a good selection to put together. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah you're right, Dill. There were tons of other bands there, but they chose those ones. Yeah, so. you know, I mean, it's sort of like I, I mean, if you look back at old, uh, you know, without the Jimmy Savile, the top of the pops, there, <laughs> it really went through some peaks and then really quite a few lows as well. You know. Yeah, it was very up and down. I think. I mean, according to a book that I've just read which is Pat Long's History of the Enemy which I really recommend it's a great read uh, the, the circulation really fluctuated I mean there was particularly a point in the early 80s where apparently it dropped from 200,000 a week to 100,000 a week wow. and that was largely mm-hmm. because Paul Morley 
and um, who, I, who I quite like, have a bit of a sneaking regard for, but he did like a, a fairly pretentious kind of turn of phrase and, and I think mm-hmm. that turned a lot of people off that they were trying to be Roland Barthes or Jacques Derrida and, and you know sort of like talking about sort of ordinary run-of-the-mill bands and then yeah, they had various spikes like Britpop was their last spike actually whereas up till then the early 90s having a really tough time they've been quite slow to get on board with grunge I think Melody Maker had beaten them, yeah, to, the, yeah, beaten them yeah. to the count on that but then when Britpop came they were slightly quicker and that, that was their last kind of little hurrah really, well, they in terms helped, of sales they helped yeah. uh, instigate the Brits pop anyway yeah, so I yeah. mean it, they, I think that that was their, their bag yeah. you know and a lot of people now are actually looking back at it and actually cursing it <laughs> yes. a, lot, a lot of the artists are actually yeah <laughs> I mean if you listen to sort of uh, bands like uh, Placebo and Suede saying that they, they never saw themselves as being in that lot but they were, they, they got there they were lumped in with yeah. it weren't they yeah I yeah. mean I mean, the golden era is typically regarded as the 70s when people like Nick Kent and Charles Shaw Murray were basically you know pop stars by proxy and would be hanging out with Keith Richards uh, not only taking heroin but taking heroin with the Rolling Stones not only playing football but playing football with Bob Marley you know I mean it was this was you know just this was the kind of the ultimate rock star era the kind of sort of prog rock thing and then apparently they were quite slow on board with punk I mean they wrote a really sniffy review of God Save the Queen when it came out but obviously ultimately had to kind of well Enemy always seems a bit conservative in in that aspect because the thing is they would let the other, because as well as the newspapers that were around, music newspapers around at the time, especially obviously the punk sort of stuff, uh, that, that, that's when you had the fanzines. And there were loads of fanzines mm. that started. People were picking up and doing their own stuff. And then you have people, you know, the, the, these journalists who were getting paid money were actually pilfered from those fanzines. I'm not going to say who, <laughs> but uh, but actually a lot of those uh, people who probably started off in the fantasies end up in uh, later on in, in the music uh, press. Anyway. Well, Danny Baker's a prime example. He was at Sniffing Glue, and I mean the na- the roster of people who are involved. I mean, I haven't even mentioned Tony Parsons and Julie Birchall yeah. yet, who are kind of you know absolutely sort of you know regarded as enemy kind of classic people. Um, Stuart McConey, Stephen Mack later on, Stephen Wells, Steve Sutherland mentioned Kenton Murray apparently the film reviewer in the 60s was Michael Winner you know yes, so really. you know I mean it, this is a real really important publication and, and it was culturally arguably more significant than just music I think sort of at times politics was quite a big factor wasn't it oh, well definitely but you know during the you know the the 80s when um when I was becoming sort of like more uh including with uh the, the, the different sort of parties I mean obviously Thatcher was the big thing and everyone was you know the, 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 the music and politics were tied together in lots of aspects you know you had like obviously the Red Wedge stuff which I didn't actually learn from it from the NME I actually saw it from, from other um, periodicals that came out at the same sort of time but they obviously got on board with that you know and you had you know uh, other musicians like uh, Billy Bragg were, you know, he was a mainstay of the enemy. He he would talk about those sort of things, and and the newspaper would, the enemy would actually interview people at depth and find out what they were thinking and thinking about the time. So you know, you, you couldn't be touched, uh, you couldn't not be touched by those sort of things. And obviously, the newspaper's supposed to rep, rep, um, 
uh, represent or reflect what's happening in society anyway. Yeah, you know? yeah, and I remember them being quite big on anti-apartheid, and then a decade or so later on, well, more than less than a decade later on, the criminal justice bill when mm-hmm. that came out. You know, I certainly was very influenced by that, influenced my politics, along with other sources, yeah. you know, at that time. You know, I certainly felt that the world view was definitely... The, but the, the enemy, as you said, doesn't necessarily... It wasn't the person, uh, the, the, the group that actually jumped on these things at the beginning. Yeah. It reported them later on when it saw that there was where the wind was blowing. I mean, say, for instance, hip-hop. They yeah. weren't the first lot to get onto hip-hop. No. Like but they did, I remember, and I, I can still vividly remember sort of like Public Enemy being on the front cover. Yeah. You know, and um, that was the time when I was really getting into sort of hip-hop and stuff like that as well. You well, know. it turns out they were having like massive internal battles between indie factions and, and, and dance and, music yeah. factions. You know, people like Paolo Hewitt were very, their soul boy kind of like always going to clubs and things and then later on the likes of Steve Lamack and that were very much in the indie camp you know going down the Dublin Castle and drinking Snakebite and Black yeah. and you know I mean it's fascinating and all of this I mean was was fascinating but but one thing that I think was probably true was that to the casual reader or even someone like me who was really into music if the three music papers were hanging around the house like they were at your pad at the time you'd often be halfway through reading one and then you'd flick back to say oh which one's this and flick back to the front because there was probably mm. less difference between sounds melody maker and the enemy than the writers within them like to think. Yeah, I think that at the time, my perception was... I, I definitely had my preferences. I mean, for me, Sounds was the best maker, and then it was the NME. Um, but, I mean, I think on reflection, you're absolutely right. There was, in terms of, you know, tone, tone of voice, they were, they were you know, really, in many ways, indistinguishable. But I think that these are the nuances, particularly with youth, that you, that you pick out much, much more and that maybe actually in reality aren't quite as pronounced as you think they are as you season, so to speak. And that was certainly, my view was that they were, the maker was perhaps a little bit less mainstream in its outlook, although I don't think that was necessarily the case. But I perceived it also to be uh, less uh, concerned with the real big headline indie acts, such as like the Stone Roses. And obviously, mm-hmm. uh, although the Smiths are and were great, you know, there's an element of, or certainly I perceived there to be perhaps a little bit, I was, there was a backlash to an extent about them and about how successful that they were, that, and a degree of inverted snobbery, which I quite enjoyed, which uh, the maker, I think, was better at reflecting uh, than the NME at the time. But this is kind of seriously nuanced shit. It's not, uh, you know, no. I, it, it's, it's not real. No, I mean, I mean, the enemy took on Morrissey in the end, which I mentioned earlier yeah. on, after his performance at Finsbury Park. Uh, sort of, was it a sort of madness gig? Or was he no, there, I, was I, I don't no. think it was madness. No, I think no. it was his own... He was, his he was headlining. Yeah. Um, I don't know if madness was actually... Madstock yeah. hadn't... No, Madstock yeah. was no, actually well, I mean, a few years later. Support him, but yeah. Because the madness were, at the time... They when, split. The, yeah, they, yeah, they, they went gone. around. Mm, but yeah. I think it was actually just uh, Morrissey's own gig then, and I remember sort of like the... It's when he was doing his proto UKIP, you know, sort of like slogans and stuff like that. And, you know, it was, he, he, he'd overdosed on all those um, old novels like Suede Head and Skinhead and all that sort of yeah. stuff. And he'd yeah. just basically become the, the little um, Englander that we always knew he was, you know. Yeah. And that he is he's even more so now, now that he doesn't live in Britain. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was disappointed. So, I mean, the Smiths are still, as I've said many times, 
Wars and this podcast my favourite ever band well, they are so great band. yeah it's you incredibly know, you, you, disappointing but sometimes yeah. you can take uh, Morrissey away from the Smiths yeah. you know and um, in fact you, you've got this this week isn't it um, oh Mars got a new album coming out right has he yeah, 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 which, yeah. Uh, which looks quite interesting yeah but yeah. I was just going to say go back to the melody maker the things that Terry was saying um, you you were right but there is a there's a nuance in there the melody maker was the musicians music paper because that's where you had all the bands sort of advertised in the back and, and for me lightweights like me the enemy is what I used to buy and I remember uh, John who we used to share the place Sounds was well, his favourite that's what it was then wasn't it yeah. John would buy Sounds I'd buy the Maker and you buy the NME yeah. something like that yeah, yeah that's yeah, probably so, how it yeah. was I was, yeah. I was a bit of a sellout I was I a, think, bit, I'm a bit shallow I think Bernard <laughs> Butler was asked about this like the guitarist from Suede about you know he, he thought it was interesting that Brett Anderson when they put the advert for, for a guitarist or I think one member of the band in NME he was surprised because NME had a much smaller advert section and apparently in the advert it said no musos please so you know maybe there's something in that but <laughs> Apart from those three behemoths of the scene in terms of uh, magazines, any other over the years music magazines that you've enjoyed and you feel sort of <laughs> smash hits? Yeah, well, which, which was <laughs> yeah, a bit I, of an outgrowth <laughs> set up by ex enemy staffers. Yeah, I used yeah. to read smash hits. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm. Uh, well, I, I used to, my sister used to get it, so I, I have a little bit of a let off there. <laughs> <laughs> and I used to buy it from my sister every once in a while but um, I used to look at it I didn't really read it but it, it, that, that was more in, 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 in it was more like looking at the time it was published by the same people I believe yeah. as, as, as looking and stuff like that and the, IPC and, yeah. you know the, 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 the publishing industry obviously aimed for uh, children and, 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 and kids at the time there was a massive market you know um, that unfortunately isn't sustained anymore you know, and now we've got that newfangled uh, you know, invention of the internet you know, uh, we haven't got as many magazines and maybe we are saving the trees though yes. <laughs> you know, saving the environment um, I it's... mean on that point I mean, how, you know, how does the end of the enemy reflect wider trends in print journalism and the transition to the internet I mean you know some there's still a lot of magazines in Smith's last time I looked yeah, but obviously sure. you're not I'm talking about 200, 300,000 yeah. circulation magazines anymore I mean what why has it fallen when maybe other magazines well, have managed to survive in other so other my children I mean the yeah. thing is is that my generation my kids who I tried to get involved in reading the enemy you know it's like um it's like everyone does this if they've got kids. They decide to sort of like, I'll give them all the things I really enjoyed, you know, to make them a, a well-rounded person like me. <laughs> Everyone's <laughs> laughing now <laughs> or smirking. They're, they're not just, they're not interested. You know, no. my, my kids, after a while, my, my, my daughter started collecting the, uh, the enemy when I used to buy it for her. And I thought, oh, we'll get a subscription. This is before it became a free sheet. Mm. And, you know, and, and, and it had suffered. And this was probably about... Well, about five years ago, you know, it was well on its way. There was a revamp for the enemy, and it decided to uh, make itself the the banner headline looks a bit more like the face from the years ago. And there was a lot of design things was going on about how, you know, how this is a bit sort of backward and all that sort of stuff. And and looking at the the, the, the actual articles, it was it was it's quite disparate because it's the whole thing to do with music now. Is is that we don't have a commonality that we can all share things or see the same things at the same time because the internet means that you pick up what you want rather than what was given to us that we all shared 
you know, and 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 this was the you know the the the, the case of when we were at school. I remember people coming in talking about the latest video of of madness for you know yeah. wings of a dove. I remember it was a big thing, you know, it was like this new video that was on top of the pops. Uh, people now are on uh, and, and choosing what they want. Yeah, sure, but I mean, you know, as you know. Rob was saying, I mean, other other magazines still are in print. It's just that perhaps that in music, in terms of music and music but who genre, they aim for? well. They're aimed for us. Well, yeah, I mean, the, I mean, obviously, you know, one assumes that like Record Collector and and, and Mojo and, and, and similar like you know, QL, these magazines are still going. If not still going, strong, they're still going. A lot of this is legacy. People have always bought them and always will. What happens when that generation either run out of money or die off? I don't know. Are they picking up newer, younger viewers? Is the thing. But enemy. I think deliberately try to pitch to a younger audience and I think that that younger audience is just not necessarily mm. interested in their opinion on music well, and Q can was, get all the other stuff from elsewhere I think Cube was started by Mark Ellen who was uh, Tony Blair's bandmate in Ugly Rumours and, and, and uh, Danny Kelly later got on board with that and, um, and I heard it summed up quite well in that it was people who were in the process of Buying on CD what they already had in vinyl. That that, that well, was the audience basically. My, right. my yeah. missus yeah. said today. Yeah. Uh, my, my missus Sally said today. She said, "I uh, and I was telling her we were coming along to this podcast today, and we were talking about sort of music uh, magazines." And she's saying, "Well, the thing with the uh, Q and um, all those magazines that sort of like because I every once in a while I buy her a magazine as a treat. <laughs> Isn't that nice?" She's just saying that. It's the same bloody article over and over again by the same by, uh, by the same journalists or uh, about the same things, mm. and the, uh, surely after a while, everything's done. You know, mm. you know, uh, the, the 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 problem is is that they're focusing on years past or maybe the eighties, maybe the nineties. I mean, it was twenty five years ago uh, for uh, you know Nirvana celebration for the. Um, I think it was last year. Actually, it was an enemy last year, or was yeah. it year before last year? Yeah. So these these shows or these magazines are also they cash in a lot on nostalgia they and on things on past. Yeah. I think it would be worth sort of like looking at online presences, like independent online presences. I don't know if they're truly independent, but like the Quietus, for example, yeah, yeah. as a website, which. I mean, I think that fills that gap quite nicely because it does. It also one of the things that maybe we haven't addressed, which I would like to point out about the enemy, and was that it was a magazine that I revelled in disagreeing with. Yeah. And I mean, in music journalism in, in general, I mean, like critical analysis, reviews of any kind of art form are obviously subjective, but nothing gets my goat more than reading a negative review about an album that I really really like you know more so than books or movies or anything like that you know I can cope with that but I can't cope with people's wrong opinions on the music that I like and and there's an art to writing that kind of stuff and I think the inherent and the, the, those those magazines that NME were talking about but also Maker and Sounds were really good at doing that and I'm sure there must have been some awareness from ed- editorially that this was massively subjective and people are going to get really angry yeah. and they're going to write in and tell you horrible things I mean and that's very actually that's very very internet isn't it and I think the quietus is an excellent example of doing that I mean nothing winds me up than reading an article from them but they're all beautifully written it should be said well they're wonderfully sneery aren't they in yeah. the best tradition of the enemy and they don't even do the build them up and knock them down they're the no, from they just the knock off them down. just yeah. saying this is rubbish yeah. uh, but apparently the enemy did 
um, uh, describe God Save the Queen as as a second-rate Who knockoff when it came out. So, <laughs> so you know, I think the enemy have been at it from the off as well. Yeah. But yeah, in terms of the websites, I mean, the Quietus is one that I go to a lot. Pitchfork, I go to obviously, which has been going quite a long time now. Um, and uh, I really like Loud and Quiet, which is a great website and is a really good free paper with good listings in it and a few adverts and things, which which I love. But in terms of the future, I mean, of course, we aren't privy. We haven't got copies of the profit and loss columns of these various organisations, whether they're print or online. What, I mean, do you think there is a money-making future uh, for people? Well, 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 actually, with music journalism, because I was just thinking about what I still buy. I still buy electronic sound. And that has a lot of new journalism in there about new bands, uh, as well as the. It's got a mix, and it's got a mix of the old stuff. Still got the you know the every once in a while like a, a, an article about craftwork, uh, and then it's got some of the new up and coming stuff like Spoken by Machine, the uh, you know the one that you shared with me, and that was yep. I remember that was in Zombies nineteen eighty five. Yeah, and so I think what it is is that people with magazines. I do like Shindig. I don't know if you've ever seen Shindig, which is focusing on sort of psychedelia. Okay. Um, I mean, what you happen, happening now is is that it's not a magazine. You can't have a magazine that will cover all of this music. I think you'll have the specialist sort of stuff. Yeah. I know there's still some of the uh, the, the hip hop stuff is still probably around as well. You know, that's focused just on the sort of hip hop uh, hip hop scene and the you know black dance music and grime, obviously, and stuff like that. You know, this you probably still can find some of those specialists, but it is the specialist magazine. Side. Yeah, they've gone more niche now, haven't they? Yeah. Electronic Sound is a really good example. We also because it's immaculately produced as oh, well, lovely. and it's usually got free stuff that goes with it as well. Particularly if you sort of like order it by well, certain dubs, you get nice seven inches, like get a nice piece of vinyl sorry, for all of sorry, us. That it's have, not free, you have to pay extra. Well, yeah, you're right. Fair <laughs> enough. You have to pay extra for it, but, yeah, but you get this nice piece of vinyl that's that nice goes with it. So it's nice for your collection for, for for those of us. But it's pitched at a particular market. When you're talking about the enemy and maker of sounds, you're talking about the enemy. You're talking about a general mass market publication that would be that was intended to be read by thousands and thousands of people and it's intended to be opinion opinion formers rather than in my opinion editorially electronic sound and I would imagine like it they tend to be opinion reinforcers and that could well be you know one of the areas there but bearing one is the importance of algorithms in terms of like what they do in helping people to create the kind of curate the kind of stuff that they might like and listen to you know these are things are taking over the human being to a degree on what you want to what you want to listen to so you don't have to you know you 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 don't necessarily have to buy a magazine now to tell you what you might like because you know your amazon account or your spotify might do the same job for you so there's an element of 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 a duty of those publications that's slowly being removed personally i think that's a sad thing because i think that it's always nicer when it's coming from a human being particularly if it's a well well written piece of human reportage yeah i mean a plug here for the magazine i write for which is night shift which is the local oxford one and i think there is still a market for that kind of thing which is long running because people do really respect the editor of that and his opinions and, and that is ronan who we had on for an interview last year I think we, you know, it's still crucial. I still do like that curatorship, I have to say. I mean, algorithms just aren't for me. I mean, I don't... The problem with algorithms is if you were into the Smiths and CN86 Indie, no algorithm is going to throw up Public Enemy in your in your timeline, is it? No, you know? and also algorithms are only there really about the things you actually consume. Yeah. You yeah. know, the yeah. things that... If, if there are things that you, you know that really you should have but you don't know about obviously that's not going to happen or things you can't afford 
you know it, that, that's that's the issue you know and I'm, I'm not too sure how uh, the streaming services work. Well, that's another good point. You say you what know. you can't afford. That these, these, these publications were always good as being arbiters and saying, you know, you've, we know you've only got a budget for your music, you've got your wages, you've got your, bu- your budget for your music, it's, your money's precious, so you, you're, you're, we're going to help you decide where to spend your money. But if you, play, if you pay £10 a month for a streaming service like, well, like there, are, there are many... Then, then you know you don't have to worry about that because you can just listen to it, and if you don't like it, then yeah, easy. Off your nose, yeah. Yeah. You well, know. yeah. Well, that's great, fellas. After this break, we're going to move on and talk a little bit about David Byrne's new LP, American Utopia. <laughs> Welcome back. So, after 14 years. In terms of solo output, that is. David Byrne's back with an album, American Utopia. Fellas, thoughts? I'm a bit of a, a Talking Heads fan. You know, years ago, I, I, I was really into Talking Heads. It's one of, well, actually, it's one of the first first records I ever bought as a, as a kid. I actually remember sort of listening to uh, Annie Nightingale, and, and I, I was introduced to Talking Heads. No one else at school knew what the hell they were on about, you know, what they were about or anything like that. So I was, I was the kid who liked Talking Heads, the weird, the weird kid at school. And I, so I have a bit of a fondness for David Byrne and Talking Heads. I've listened to the album. Uh, I should say that sort of like I, uh, the thing about David Byrne as such, I think I only got uh, his solo stuff probably about a decade and a half ago, <laughs> the last one, and then I sort of stopped because. Um, well, that's when he that's when he stopped with it. Well, it's, when was the last well, time? He, no, well, the thing was, was that, fourteen years. Yeah, ago. fourteen that, years. But the, yeah. But the solo stuff. The thing was that he kept on doing lots of other music, but collaborating. Yeah, He's yeah, been yeah. very prolific with a lot of his. Yeah, music. Well, this is his first solo. Yeah, but this yeah. is the first proper solo. So, what did you think of it? What do I think of it? It's um, it's good. It's 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 comfy. I like the I really like the first track. I want to dance. I think it's called. I dance like this. I, oh, I dance like this. You, you know more than me. I, I, it starts off really well with some really sort of like uh, interesting sort of uh, sounds, which are like the uh, industrial electronic stuff, and works really, really well. And then goes down into his sort of like more quirky sort of uh, uh, vocals, and and, and 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 then back up again. It start, you know, the juxtaposition there is really good. Some of the other tracks, I find that he his voice isn't as strong as it used to be. Obviously, the guy's a, a bit older than uh, than us, and but he he seems to warm up later on. For, I mean, obviously, he probably didn't do these all in order. But but looking at it, it seems that like he it, it, the, 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 it, the album actually warms up halfway through it and starts to to, to get its soul back together again. Yeah, I'm going to listen to it more. Yeah, you know. And I actually didn't know that this album was out until you actually, uh, Rob, you actually sort of said that we should review it. Uh, I was quite intrigued that sort of like it's uh, Brian Eno is the producer on this. Yeah, he's involved. Yeah, um, I mean, he's quite big with, uh, I mean, there's quite a few big names involved, I think. And uh, apart from Brian Eno, Sampha, you know, from the UK crime, crime scenes, like, is oh, involved really? as okay. well, you know, and I think he's, he's also collaborated, you mentioned the collaborations, he's collaborated in recent years with St Vincent it's yes, very much flavour yeah. at the moment which was a very well received album and Fatboy Slim going back a bit as well yeah, okay. so, yeah. it is an immaculately produced album it's yeah. got to be said but with that kind of roll call then you would really expect it yes, to yeah. and we, I mean it's David Byrne I mean he's going to have all the money in the world to be able to produce this yeah. amazing piece of work and it does sound great I'm trying to work out whether or not I think he's being satirical with his kind of changes of, of sounds 
and some of them lyrically I get the impression that perhaps he's trying to be a bit satirical but the, my problem is is that I listen to so little music that has lyrics in it that sometimes I have difficulty passing you know what the what the intention is of the, of, of the songwriter I think it's personal I mean the, 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 the yeah. satirical stuff is actually life and lo- it is it is satirical but he's always been like that but I think that this is uh, uh, part of this album is obviously based on his life at, at what the now and obviously yeah. recent recent past and he's looking at himself as well yeah and um, and and he's always had that quirky way of looking at uh, life in general and, and, and it's, it, I mean the guy's he's now in the autumn of his life so he is looking back and you can see that was definitely like, the impression that I got it, from listening to it I actually thought that this is the perfect album for the centricist dad or something I, 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 I have to say <laughs> yeah I mean I wasn't sure because I don't want to I, I mean because I've got me. such is the level of respect that I have for him that I don't want to use terms like that because they are unkind yeah. But there were times when I was sort of like listening to it, and I was going, "Middle-aged man yes. with middle-aged problems." But I mean, that's probably being a little bit unkind. And what did you? With <laughs> us three standing here, well, it's probably well. because you know it. You, you know, that's possibly it. it. That's why it resonates a little bit. And there was a sort of like thinking, "It's like, come on, mate, you've 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 made it. You know, you know, you, you, you've done it. Be a bit." And I'm not sure. You know, I mean, it's funny because you always, again, it's subjective. It's what you're looking for. Mm. And I suppose that's how it, it does succeed in perhaps reflecting some of that back yeah. at you, which is quite good. Quick word, Dale, on the high-water mark of his career, either for the band or, or his own stuff. I, I'm going back to Talking Heads, actually. Yeah, sort yeah. Of like, uh, Any particular album? Mm. Well, I, I, well, the thing is, with Talking Heads, it, it's always a case of when you actually listen to it, you're at different periods of your life. They were in different periods of their life as well. The earlier stuff, you know... Um, you know, with Psycho Killer and everything like that, it's, it's, it's brilliant. But little, you know, Little Creatures is a, is a great album. I have a fondness for Naked. You know, I, I really uh, enjoy. It. I've still got my my cassette again. <laughs> I still got loads of cassettes at home. Never actually transferred over to DVD uh, or not the uh, um, CD. But um, but uh, yeah, no, I haven't listened to that for a long time. Now, after listening to this, I was actually thinking of that album that I should go back to listen to to that. But um, with with David Byrne, I always see him as a bit of the Yoda of, of music because he, he, the last couple of years, because he's been doing so many collaborations, he's written that book um, about music, which is one of those books you think that will be a great stocking filler if someone buys it for Christmas that I'll be able to put on the on the, on the uh, shelf and never read. You know, he, he's obviously been doing so many things and he's all over the place and he's obviously a, a, a master of his craft. But yeah, this is you know, it is. It is for a for a sort of comfortable dad sort of thing and and mother as well. You know, it's sort of like Centristel. Centristel. Yeah. Remaining light, little creatures, and stop making sense. The original stop oh. making sense. Not not the not the expanded version, which just completely oh, yeah, interrupts the entire flow of that album. That that stop making sense. That album is the, one of the finest ever live albums in, uh, of, of, of any hue from, from any artist in my opinion. One of the great New York acts as well I think it's fair to say yeah. and we'll probably do a, a, an episode on New York music at some point which Talking Heads will no doubt be central to. Thanks fellas, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on, really enjoyed the conversation. Terry do you want to say a little word about your coordinates on social media and, and remind us of your podcast activities again? 
Yeah, I'm Terry DeFellon on Twitter, but I don't tweet that much, and usually it's unfocused football nonsense, so don't worry too much about that. But, yeah, I mean, if you like uh, football, then it's Sound of Football. If you like uh, Star Trek, if you like Star Trek, then I do a Star Trek pod with, with Graham and with my mate Dell here uh, as well. So uh, that's called Whom Pods Destroy. So, uh, yeah, you can uh, hit me up on now. Yeah, and Dell, your, your uh, Twitter handle? I, well, I'm Del Boyd there, but the, the thing is, I'm again, um, some of the stuff that I uh, tweet about isn't really... No one will like it except for my close mates, and even my close mates actually hate it as well. So, so I hang on to t- Terry's uh, coattails when it's t- to the podcast and stuff like that. So uh, I'm on Whom Pods Destroy, which is uh, we have a great laugh actually. We do, yeah. And it certainly showed today some podcast uh, veterans. I mean, it's been a really good, smooth discussion. Oh. Thanks very much, fellas. Thank and you. definitely you. want to get you on again at some point in the future. See you for the next episode, everyone. Goodbye. Goodbye. listening you can interact with the team at at soundingboard69 on twitter and facebook